Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Trashy Divorces, everybody's favorite good podcast about bad relationships. My name is Stacy, and Alicia, who do you have for us today? Friends, thanks for joining us today for today's tale of marital misadventure as we take a nostalgic walk okay. down the memory lane of 80s teen movies and more with teen queen Molly Ringwald. Oh, yeah. Everybody get your quarters to call your mom and dad after the movie ends. Yep. Put your Venezia sweaters on backwards. It's time to trash it up a little bit with some Molly Ringwald today. There's no reason to do anything but... Go, go, go. Oh, there's so much to like about this story. I do like Molly Kathleen Ringwald. Who doesn't? Born on February 18th, 1968 in Roseville, California. Our little Molly is the youngest of three children from a very interesting and artistic family. Molly's father, Robert Ringwald, talented jazz pianist, Hmm. also blind. Interesting. It's one of the things Molly says was that it was always awesome to read scripts to her father because she got to play every character. Oh, that makes sense. Isn't that incredible? Molly was a natural performer from a young age. She is one of those kids that was singing and performing for her family as soon as she could talk. Recognizing Molly's talents, her parents encouraged her interest in singing and acting. And Molly begins acting at the tender age of three. We've seen that. In a community theater production of Truman Capote's The Grass Harp. Isn't that fantastic? Molly plays one of Baby Love's illegitimate children at the age of three in Truman Capote's Mm -hmm. play. Just incredible. By the age of five, Molly has moved to a local stage production of Alice in Wonderland. At the age of six, Molly will record a song with her father's jazz band. (laughs) Multi-talented post-toddler, really. (laughs) That's exactly it. Let's take Molly to 11, Mm. where she would be cast in her first professional role as the most famous orphan in all the world. This was for the West Coast production of Annie. Sure. Sun's going to come out. Most of us, this is me, got our first look at Molly Ringwald when she was cast on the first season of The Facts of Life. The show creator's in the second season, decided to change direction and narrowed the cast down to just Mrs. Garrett, mm-hmm. Natalie Tootie Blair, and brought Joe on as the fourth girl. Right, and you covered Lisa Welchel, who played Blair, not too long ago. Yeah, Coco Mama. Exactly. Was it was story. a great story. Well, poor Molly Ringwald, right, is... On national TV, she gets her first television series. She will recall, Molly will. Then they changed their minds and then fired me, which was kind of hard as a 12-year-old girl. I bet. 
What they said is they wanted something closer to Lisa Welchel, who played Blair. They wanted something closer to her age, and I was too young at the time. I was a little bit of a different generation. Are Molly's hopes dashed? Heck no! In 1983, Molly will be nominated for a Golden Globe of Best New Star of the Year for her work as Miranda in The Tempest. Hmm. It wouldn't be long before audiences would see Molly Ringwald again. As in 1984, she had her breakout role in the teen hit film, 16 Candles, Yep. Samantha Baker. Was that role and the 80s will never be the same. Mm -mm. Here, Molly Ringwald becomes a teen idol and the muse of John Hughes. Say that five times fast. Yeah. Those of us who grew up in the 1980s owe a lot of their movie memories to writer and filmmaker John Hughes. He was arguably the most influential and prolific voice when it came to the experience and angst of the 1980s American teenager. It is not an exaggeration to say that John Hughes helped define a generation. No, that's not an exaggeration at all. What classics would we include in the John Hughes repertoire? Ferris Bueller's Day Off, Sixteen Candles, The Breakfast Club, Pretty in Pink, Weird Science, Some Kind of Wonderful, and Uncle Buck. Also, three of those movies have the most incredible movie soundtracks that have ever been done. Mm -hmm. But that's not all. John Hughes also wrote many other hit movies that we don't as closely associate with him. What are those movies? Mr. Mom, National Lampoon's Vacation, National Lampoon's European Vacation, Planes, Trains, and Automobiles, She's Having a Baby, and The Great Outdoors. That was the 1980s. Mm -hmm. And John Hughes is far less associated with the 1990s, but he wrote and produced many movies during this decade as well. What are those films? Perhaps some you've heard of. Home Alone. (laughs) Only the Lonely, Dutch, Curly Sue, Beethoven, Dennis the Menace, Flubber, and Made in Manhattan. The thing that John Hughes had the ability to do in that early 80s period, he really had a knack for getting into the mind of a teenager and was able to give a voice to bring to the screen the feeling struggles, triumphs of teenagerdom, whether you were an outcast or an athlete or a popular kid or the 16-year-old girl whose parents forgot her birthday. Mm-hmm. In a 1985 interview with Gene Siskel of the Chicago Tribune, John Hughes discussed his approach to representing teens in his films. Quote, many filmmakers portray teenagers as immoral and ignorant with pursuits that are pretty base. They seem to think that teenagers aren't very bright, but I haven't found that to be the case. I listen to kids. I respect them. I don't discount anything they have to say just because they're only 16 years old, unquote. Many filmmakers after Hughes, who go on to make comedies with relatable characters, especially those with teenage characters, hold John Hughes' work as the standard to aspire to. Absolutely. Comedy writer-director Judd Apatow tells the Los Angeles Times in 2008, 
John Hughes wrote some of the great outsider characters of all time. It's pretty ridiculous to hear people talk about the movies we've been doing with outrageous humor and sweetness all combined as if they were an original idea. I mean, it was all there first in John Hughes's films. After John Hughes passed away in 2009 at the young age of 59, Judd Apatow said, I feel like part of my childhood has died. Nobody made me laugh harder or more often than John Hughes. Now John Hughes and his casting chose to cast a lot of the same actors in many of his movies, and he was really fond of working with those young actors in what was referred to as the Brat Pack. Some of his favorites and most memorable were Emilio Estevez, Andrew McCarthy, Anthony Michael Hall, Judd Nelson, Robert Downey Jr., last week's profile, yep, and Ali Sheedy. But no one is more closely associated with John Hughes than Molly Ringwald. Mm -hmm. His iconic mega-hit, 16 Candles, The Breakfast Club, and Pretty in Pink just wouldn't be the same without the actress who served as John Hughes's muse and collaborator both. Susanna Gora, along with many others, has written about the connection between the director and actress. Gora writes in You Couldn't Ignore Me If You Tried. Hughes valued Ringwald's opinion over everyone else's. Despite her young age, she held a lot of power over the famous director. One well-known example of her influence over him and how he would adjust scripts to suit Molly's liking was when he removed a sexualized scene in The Breakfast Club because she didn't like it. People on the sets of their films would recall Molly Ringwald and John Hughes finishing each other's sentences and being quote-unquote utterly in sync. (laughs) Molly Ringwald tells Susanna Gora, I had a mad crush on him, without a doubt. It's pretty heady stuff to have somebody who is so inspired by you that they are writing movies for you and studios are doing them. I felt like he really got me. I felt completely understood. In 2004, New York Magazine's Michael Agar wrote an article titled Don't You Forget About Me, aptly named. This piece was about Molly Ringwald and her impact on the teen culture of the 80s. Quote, it's difficult to explain to those who weren't teenagers in the 80s just how large Molly Ringwald once loomed in our lives and why, even now, she must be coy about where she picks up her coffee. (laughs) For many of us, she was the first real teen we watched at the movies. If you were white and suburban and insecure, you came to the theater and saw yourself. Now, almost two decades after her initial fame, Ringwald has become the girl in everybody's yearbook, the actress we think about when we think about our youth. Yeah, and I was a little younger when these movies were coming out, but they certainly influenced what I anticipated and how I became a teenager as well. Like it, it, yeah, it was, they were just tremendously gargantuan. Gargantuan. You couldn't get away from them. The choice of Molly Ringwald in 16 Candles was very deliberate. It was a 
well-thought-out casting decision. Susanna Gora again writes, The script for Sixteen Candles made clear that a comedic and light teenage film could also contain within it an examination of the deeper contours of adolescent life. This was a different kind of teen flick. And fittingly, Molly Ringwald was different from any other young actor. She was pretty, to be sure, but hers was not a typical Hollywood prettiness. To look at Ringwald was to be presented with a compelling, unique combination. Ivory-colored skin, transfixing brown eyes, a pronounced jaw, full lips, and softly waving copper-colored hair. In an age where teenage boys drifted off to sleep, staring at posters of the picture-perfect blonde Christy Brinkley, Ringwald offered something else entirely, a thinking man's, or boy's, version of beauty. She was offbeat, interesting-looking, says Sixteen Candles casting director Jackie Birch. Ringwald's different beauty also meant that teenage girls, so often insecure about their own looks, wouldn't be intimidated by her, unquote. It is sad that the collaboration between John Hughes and Molly Ringwald came to an end after Pretty in Pink. John Hughes had another lead role for Molly that he wanted to have her play in his next film. Remember, Sixteen Candles was in 84, Breakfast Club in 85, Pretty in Pink was shot in 86, and John Hughes already knew what his next film was going to be, and it was scheduled to start right away for 1987's Some Kind of Wonderful. Mm. This one was also to star Molly Ringwald. But Molly Ringwald turns down this role because she feels it's too similar to the other roles she just played. Sure, she didn't want to be typecast. Yeah. And she wanted to expand her acting career by portraying more mature characters. Mm -hmm. Molly Ringwald tells People Magazine, John saw something in me that I didn't even see in myself. Eventually, though, I felt that I needed to work with other people as well. I wanted to grow up. Something I felt, rightly or wrongly, I couldn't do while working with John. Now, Molly wants to work with John Hughes again, mm -hmm. but after taking a break from his roles, this was not to be. Yeah. John Hughes was so offended, the two never worked together after Pretty in Pink. Yeah, it sounds like it may have been a, a bit of a heartbreak for him. You know, he'd found his muse, and then to have her leave, like... It was a little bit of a detriment to both of them, really. Neither had the same level of success once their partnership ended. For a time, things were very strained between the two. And there were certainly, to your point, very, very hard, rock-hard feelings about whatever had happened. But in 1994, Molly Ringwald reached out to John Hughes. And this is a little bit after both had had some time and distance from the situation and were able to reflect a bit. Molly wrote Hughes a heartfelt letter telling him how important he was to her. Quote, a week after I sent my letter, Molly writes, I received a bouquet of flowers as big as my apartment from John, hmm. thanking me for writing. I was so relieved to know that I had gotten through to him, and I feel grateful now for that sense of closure. So that takes us through Molly Ringwald, 
John Hughes, but we're not done oh, no. with our 80s romp. We haven't even gotten to a trashy divorce yet. We haven't even made it to Anthony Michael Hall and a few musicians, including Dweezil Zappa hmm. and Adam Horowitz. Oh, Beastie you Boys. You fight for your right sure. to date a Beastie Boy. All right. You gotta know it. I love this story. We're gonna take a quick break and back on the flip, we're gonna get into all of that. We'll be right back. Hey, Trash Pandas, when you need a brain break from your day, let me recommend the game June's Journey for Android and iPhone. It's a hidden object mystery game where you are solving a murder, uncovering family secrets, and, I don't know, exposing official corruption? All in an extremely stylish 1920s setting. Every scene takes you deeper into the mystery and introduces you to an expansive cast of characters as June Parker explores the questions surrounding her sister's apparent murder-suicide at the family's beachfront estate. Add your own elements to the island, from lush gardens to gorgeous new buildings. This story has so many twists and turns. Right now, we are on a global journey attempting to rescue June's niece, Virginia. It's a great combo of gameplay. It's a memory puzzle, a design project, an intriguing storyline with genuinely fabulous art. When you want to let your mind wander, relax into this glorious 1920s murder mystery and get lost in the fun. Discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. Stacy, you mentioned we haven't even made it to a marriage yet. We're not even going to make it to a marriage for a little bit. Let's talk about some dating adventures of Molly Ringwald. Sure. Since this really... Movie star. This is our trash candy lane of 1980s. Molly Ringwald and another 1980s teen movie star, Anthony Michael Hall. Hmm. They dated briefly after they finished filming The Breakfast Club. According to You Couldn't Ignore Me If You Tried, the two were finishing up filming 16 Candles when John Hughes asked them to read his script about (laughs) Saturday Detention. Susanna Gora writes, So natural was the chemistry between the director and his two actors that working together again seemed like a foregone conclusion. Anthony Michael Hall said, One day he just said, we'd be doing The Breakfast Club. (laughs) I knew that he was bestowing a great gift on my life. In this movie, the whole cast got along really well, but Molly Ringwald and Anthony Michael Hall were particularly close after just having been together for 16 Candles. In 2020, Anthony Michael Hall talked to Page Six and referred to his relationship with Molly Ringwald as quote-unquote puppy love. Hmm. He also made it clear that their attraction was not an instant thing, saying, She didn't have the time of day for me when we made 16 Candles. We did 16 Candles and I was so annoying to her. So it was really funny. It kind of hit me by surprise when we had our first thing there, but it was fun. He then will go on to say that Molly is quote-unquote wonderful and a great lady, continuing with, we've been friends since and I've seen her over the years. Ringwald has said that she thinks the romantic interest between her and Anthony Michael Hall was because of their circumstances. She'll say, we got together at the end of The Breakfast Club, and we were only together a few months. I think mostly because we were the only people we knew, (laughs) practically in the world, that we were the same age, that we were doing the same thing. Mm -hmm. 
Ringwald has also admitted that it was difficult for her to get dates during those years because boys were too intimidated to approach her. Yeah. She told People in 2016, Boys were always too shy to come up to me. If I wanted to go out with anyone, I always had to make the first move. I have a few fun facts here about the Breakfast Club. I'm going to take a personal moment of privilege to apologize to my father. I don't know if you know this story, Stacy, but I'm about to reveal it to all of you. I have been in detention one time in my entire lifetime. I was a pretty good girl in school. But I got detention one time in eighth grade. The Monday after, my father took me Saturday after I had begged and pleaded to go to the new John Hughes movie. 48 hours later, I had detention. I don't think my father has ever quite forgiven me. I guess he thought it was the cool thing to do. You go see the movie and you go get detention. Do you recall why you had detention? Yes, I do. And I still claim unfair. The bell rang and I was crossing the threshold to the room, our classroom, from the library. But I was not yet in my seat. Oh. And I was not in my seat fast enough to suit my teacher And so I got detention on the very worst day in my academic career that I could ever get detention. (laughs) Seriously, 48 hours after my father was... Maybe your teacher had seen it that weekend, too. Giving everybody detention. (laughs) It's the hot new thing. I'm going to make your eighth grade life miserable, Alicia. All right. A few fun facts that actually pertain to the cast of The Breakfast Club, not my own personal detention story. Sure. Ali Sheedy was John Hughes's top choice for the character of Allison in The Breakfast Club. And this is sort of an interesting thing. Like, always show up and do your best. You never know when it's going to come back around. When Ali Sheedy auditioned for 16 Candles, she actually had two black eyes because she was building a set for a play as a drama student at USC and had been hit with the board. Oh, my God. <laughs> isn't that right but she's still going to show up and audition Mm -hmm. for 16 candles Susanna Gora writes that dark almost gothic image of her stayed with John Hughes sure and when it came time to cast the role of the brooding soulful shadowy Allison in the breakfast club something clicked in Hughes's mind he was like give me that actress and pull out some boards Some other casting choices that I think are a little bit interesting here. Mm. Judd Nelson, who played the part of Bender, classically. Mm -hmm. Like, you can't see anybody else in that role. Right. There was another actor originally slated for that role by John Hughes. That original actor, John Cusack. This scrolled by my Facebook feed recently, and I thought that was very interesting. And I can understand why that wasn't the right fit. Absolutely not the right fit. Judd Nelson wasn't really very well known then, but he came in and nailed the audition. I'm sure. I did have a little bit of a fun thing that happened on my Facebook feed not long ago as I was prepping for this story. So I'm going to give you a little bit more on Judd Nelson from The Breakfast Club because I think these stories are hilarious. Judd Nelson goes undercover at the local high school. (laughs) Uh, where the Breakfast Club was shooting, convinces all the teenagers there that he is a legitimate student. Hello, fellow Utes. Hello, fellow Utes is right. 
Judd is 24 years oh, old God. at the time. But he's going to get in with the kids because he buys them beer with his fake ID. This is like an almost famous when the band goes and hangs out with like regular kids, right? Yeah, Chicago parents, I think it was shot in Chicago, are <laughs> losing their minds right now that this happened. So Judd Nelson, after riding around with his teenage friends all day, says, yeah, just drop me off at the hotel. Because all the actors are staying at a hotel. Mm-hmm, probably a nice one. Judd Nelson says later, yeah, they'd asked me why I was staying at, at a hotel and I told him my dad was in jail. I was staying at the Weston O'Hare because, you know, my dad's incarcerated. So I live at the airport hotel. Right? <laughs> so how did he get that audition? Listen to this. Judd Nelson's clothes that he wears, because, I mean, it's all shot in the same day, are the outfit that he actually auditioned for for the role of Bender. And to condition his boots, Judd Nelson pours a quart of motor oil on them and just leaves them alone for a day. A little bit about Judd Molly Ringwald. Uh, He'd harass her offset Mm -hmm. as part of his method acting. Right. This is terrible. He'd make fun of her blind musician father. Oh, God. Yeah. Terrible. Touch on other hot button issues. Tease, harass, bully her, much like his on-screen persona. Yeah, it's weird she ended up dating the other guy. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Molly said she knew what he was doing, so she wasn't phased by his method acting attacks. John Hughes, however, was not so tolerant and understanding to his teen queen. Hughes almost fires Judd Nelson because of his antics. And ironically, Paul Gleason, who played Vice Principal Vernon, defends Judd Nelson, saying he's a good actor. He's just trying to get into character. But he also said he'd never work with Judd Nelson again (laughs) because he was basically acting like his psychopath punk character on the set the whole time. Closing down my detention stories. All right, let's move along to Molly Ringwald and Dweezil Zappa. Oh, yeah, dude. Molly, she's dated all kinds of folks. After Molly Ringwald and Anthony Michael Hall broke up, from their, you know, few months, Molly begins dating Dweezil Zappa. How does this happen? God, you had to have lived in the 80s, friends. Yeah, yeah. Molly was friends with Dweezil's sister, Moon Zappa. Yep. Again, I was younger. I was not a teenager yet when all of this was happening. And the Zappa family naming nomenclature was, I just, I, it, I, was just endlessly confused by Incredible. Mm-hmm. Dweezil and Moon are two of the children of Frank Zappa. He has yep. a lot of kids. Mm-hmm. From an interview in 1985 when Molly was 17, she described it this way. When I met Dweezil, he was 14, and I thought he was really cute. Anyway, I'm really intimidated by beautiful people, beautiful guys especially. Like, not intimidated, but I sort of think the worst. Anyway, he would never really talk to me, and if I were in the room, he would leave. (laughs) The first time I came over, I never even saw him until I was just leaving. Moon came running down the stairs and said, I want you to meet my brother. Dweezil is painfully shy. Anyway, I was hanging out a lot last summer with Moon and Dweezil and their cousin Chemo. This is why the 80s were such a... You just pour motor oil on your boots, on your new boots. And go hang out with chemo. And go hang out with Uh chemo Zappa. I never really thought anything about it, Molly continues. 
and just recently, Dweezil was going up for a part in Pretty in Pink, and he called me up, and we started talking and started doing stuff again. And I thought to myself, I really like this person an awful lot. Then it just happened. Now we're going out. Dweezil Zappa was genuinely beautiful in the 80s. He just, wow, yeah. In 1986, Dweezil Zappa, in fact, does make a cameo appearance in the film Pretty in Pink. In 1987, Dweezil tells an interviewer that the worst time of his life was right after the breakup with Molly Ringwald. Hmm. He was still very young at the time, and that one might have been tough for... Dweezil, but he's had a string of relationships with some other high-profile women since then, including Virginia Madsen, Jennifer Conley, Nicolette Sheridan, Sharon Stone, and Lisa Loeb. Hmm. Dweezil has been married twice as well. No story about the 1980s is complete without mentioning the Beastie Boys. (laughs) Back in 1987, Molly Ringwald dated Beastie Boys member Adam Horowitz. They met when working on the film, The Pickup Artist, which Molly starred in with RDJ, Robert Downey Jr. Ringwald tells New York Magazine about meeting Horowitz. I finished doing The Pickup Artist and the producer was putting together the music. He brought the Beastie Boys in to talk to them about having a song in the movie. And Adam (laughs) gave his number to the producer. I went and looked at some music magazines. I was trying to figure out which Adam it was because I only wanted to call if it was Adam Horovitz. I thought he was really cute. The couple were only together for about a year, but Molly really still has fond memories and feelings about Adam. In 2014 on a Canadian late night show, she said about Horovitz, he's amazing, really smart and funny. I don't think the Beastie Boys knew at that time exactly. He wasn't sure if he was going to stay with the band or if he was going to go into acting, or Mm. what he was going to do. In March 2023, Molly Ringwald was a presenter at the Oscars and was apparently feeling a little nostalgic because she posted a picture of she and Adam Horovitz on the red carpet at the 1987 Oscars with this caption. This is me and Adam, my BF at the time. He wanted to show up with a boombox on his shoulder, but I, regrettably, wouldn't let him. We skipped the governor's ball and went to Pioneer Chicken instead. I'm wearing Chanel. (laughs) (laughs) Well played. Well played. I'm wearing Chanel. Now, a little bit of a trashy twist here. Adam Horovitz must have had a soft spot for female leads in popular 1980s teen movies because Horovitz goes on to marry Ione Skye in 1992. Ioni Sky was in several movies in the 80s and 90s, but most notably remembered as the female lead in Cameron Crowe's romantic teen comedy, Say Anything with John Cusack. Right. Classic movie. Just a girl still wanting a guy to hold a boombox above mm-hmm. his head under mm-hmm. my bedroom window. God, the 80s. If you weren't there, I, just, I, don't, I don't know how to explain it. Horvitz and Sky split in 1999. Hmm. It really appears they may have had their own trashy divorce because earlier in 2023, Ioni Sky wrote a revealing memoir in which she admitted that her own, quote, sexual seeking and serial cheating, unquote, caused the end of her marriage to Adam Horvitz. Hmm. 
making a note. We'll follow up on that one. Interestingly, Ioni Sky was dating Red Hot Chili Peppers lead singer Anthony Kiedis. When she got together with Adam Horowitz, she was 16 at the time. Kiedis was 24 mm-hmm. at the time, which is gross, and also in the throes of a heroin addiction. Ioni Sky writes that leaving Kiedis for her great love, Beastie Boy Adam Horowitz, was an act of self-preservation. But her marriage at age 22 to Horowitz was undone by her almost pathological infidelities. Hmm. Horowitz has been married to American punk singer Kathleen Hanna since 2006. Oh, sure. Bikini Kill, Latigra, Kathleen Hanna's awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Okay. That is going to bring us to time for another break. We're about to get to first marriage, trashy divorce, and some lasting happiness. (laughs) Okay. We'll be right back. Alicia, I had so many memories during that commercial break. I'm pretty sure that TD alum Amanda Palmer, upon marrying writer Neil Gaiman, reached out to Kathleen Hanna to figure out, like, how do you, like, I am with this rich, successful person now. Like, I don't know how to fit into this life. Like, what, what do I even do here? And so apparently Kathleen Hanna mentored her. That's amazing. I'm pretty sure that's true. <laughs> Everything really does connect in our trashy universe of spiderwebs. Mm-hmm. All right, let's get Molly married. <laughs> First marriage. Molly is a longtime Francophile. And Molly, after her run of teen queen early success, she's going to move to Paris in the early 90s. She'll act in a number of foreign films. To le jour de manche, enfant de salon. Clearly, I'm not a native French speaker. But Molly, impressively, performed these roles entirely in French. But she doesn't really abandon her American acting career. She will return to the United States to do several roles, including Stephen King's The Stand, as well as the Emmy-nominated Alison Gertz story based on the prominent AIDS activist who eventually died from AIDS shortly after that television movie aired. Molly also did a great many stage performances during the 90s, including one of my favorites, playing Sally Bowles in the Broadway production of Cabaret, also starring in Enchanted April, also on Broadway. It is in 1991, Molly Ringwald begins dating French writer Valérie Laminiere. The two would be together for eight years. Hmm. Long time dating, eight years before they marry, July 28th, 1999. The wedding takes place in Bordeaux, Mm. France. Good wine. Well, same as Eleanor of Aquitaine and Louis the Younger. We're going to talk about that on Trashy Royals this week. Bordeaux, good wine, good vinegar, all the good stuff. In Style described the Bordeaux, France wedding ceremony this way. Ringwald floated across a bay to the flower-laden, paper-lantern-lit ceremony aboard a local boat amid cheers of friends, family, and locals. Sounds like a really fun wedding, really romantic. I hate to report that whatever kept this couple together for nearly a decade prior to tying the knot didn't last did not survive the no, marriage part <laughs> not much longer the couple separated in 2001 
less than two years after marriage. Molly filed for divorce in 2002, (laughs) citing, are you ready for this? Cruel and inhuman treatment. Hmm. According to Entertainment Online at the time, Ringwald sought no alimony, financial settlement, or possessions from their shared home in Bordeaux. It looks like Molly wow. just... GTFO'd? You got it. Wow. Out. See ya. Gonna leave you behind like my letter to the principal in Sherman Oaks High School. I'm out of here. All right. I do have some happier news here about Molly finding lasting love and happiness. It is in 2001, while Molly was separated from Valerie, that she meets... Pano Giannopoulos in an online literary salon. Pano and Molly, both writers, I forgot to mention, she's a published author. They're both avid readers, Molly and Pano. And so it wasn't long before the two realized they have a lot in common and were attracted to each other. It starts out as email and eventually they make plans to meet up in person. In 2011, Molly Ringwald wrote an essay that was in Parade Magazine in which she described Pano as, quote, far too good-looking to be taken seriously, unquote. She also discussed about the fact that her first marriage having just ended, she was not looking for a relationship. Molly also writes that she felt that their seven-year age difference, Pano is younger, made him, quote, wholly inappropriate, unquote. But alas, the heart wants what the heart wants. Sometimes, sometimes what life gives you is everything that you should not have. Like the timing is bad. The age difference is bad, blah, blah, blah. And you're saying now they're happily married? Well, the year after her divorce, Molly gave birth to her first child in 2003. Two years later, she'll give birth to twins Pano Giannopoulos, her partner and father to all three, becomes her husband in 2007, and they're still together today. Huzzah! There you go. Sometimes you just gotta have the bad timing, the bad age difference, the everything wrong, and it just works. The two continue to share their passion of reading and writing. Molly has written When It Happens to You, a novel and stories, and Getting the Pretty Back. Friendship, Family, and Finding the Perfect Lipstick. Molly's also translated two books from French to English. She's really talented. Yeah. She'll tell the Los Angeles Times, I really like writing next to my husband. I feel incredibly comfortable. I love to have him there so I can pat his knee. I find it very comforting. We do not do that writing together. We write in separate rooms. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Molly will go on to tell Publishers Weekly that her husband, quote, is the only person I share the story with as I go along. He is incredibly helpful, unquote. For his part, Pano tells the Los Angeles Times that he reads his work to Molly for feedback also, saying very often she'll have great insight. Mm -hmm. In February of this year, 2023, Molly writes on her Instagram, Today, the getaway car and I are together 22 years. Happy anniversary to us. Three kids, three dogs, one cast, and a lot of love. Best decision I ever made. Here's to 22 more at least. Which is kind of nice. 
Well, that is a long and it sounds like happy relationship. And being able to be creative with your partner, can I just recommend that? It's really good stuff. Mm-hmm. Really good stuff. I want to go ahead and wind it down because that really happiness abounds for Molly and I mm-hmm. love that. And that was kind of fun through 80s nostalgia lane. Great flex to be able to tell the ex like, you know what? I don't even want anything. I'm sh- I'm out. Gone. See ya. But Molly, even after the 80s, has never really stopped acting. She has been in over 25 films and appeared in several television shows and made for television movies as well. Molly will appear as a main cast member on the television series The Secret Life of an American Teenager from 2008 to 2013. She's had a recurring role on the series Riverdale since 2017. She also portrayed the role of Jeffrey Dahmer's mother, Sherry Dahmer, in Netflix's Monster, the Jeffrey Dahmer story. So like a couple of vehicles there with teen tie-ins and then a vehicle where the guy ate teens. So (laughs) really all comes back around. So Molly, now with three kids, let's talk about a, a challenge, a complication, an opportunity. One issue <laughs> that's developed from her iconic 80s roles is explaining those roles and movies to her children. Molly Ringwald said it's difficult to explain to her kids that the 80s really were a different time. Yeah. And that these sexist tropes were mm-hmm. normal for that decade, even though they seem so awful to her teenagers today. I'm sure. Yeah. Ringwald tells The Guardian that she's afraid to watch her movies with her teenage daughter. Quote, she's very liberal. (laughs) I mean, I'm very liberal, but she's another level, which she should be, and I'm glad. But when it comes to her movies, she said, there were certain things that were accepted in the 80s that wouldn't be accepted now. Mm -hmm. Molly Ringwald will tell Andy Cohen on his Sirius XM show a few years ago, that she doesn't know how she's going to watch her iconic teen movies with her children because her children will find them, quote unquote, troubling. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Friends, if Molly, you weren't there. Yeah. Molly will continue on about her 12-year-old daughter saying, my 12-year-old daughter is the most woke individual that you've ever met. I just don't know how I'm going to go through that, you know, watching it with her and saying, how could you do that? How could you be part of something like that? (laughs) But Molly appears to have found balance and peace about the movies and is able to put them in perspective and see the positives as well as the negatives about the storyline. Saying, on the other hand, they're also about people that felt like outsiders. So they speak to a lot of people. And I feel like that's what makes the movies really wonderful. It's also something I wanted to go on record talking about. The elements that I find troubling and want to change for the future. But that doesn't mean at all that I want them to be erased. I'm proud of these movies and have a lot of affection for them. Mm -hmm. I think in general, they were a good influence on our generation. I think you got to see yourself on screen. And it. I feel like in a lot of ways, and maybe this was just me because I felt like I was kind of a weird kid. Like I felt like they celebrated weird weirdness. Kids. Yeah. Weird, weird people, uh, like 
have you met teenagers? Every teenager is weird. Right. And that's what you mm-hmm. should glory in is a teen. Embrace your weirdness. The sooner you figure out what weird thing about you makes you you, that's go go do more of that. It's mm-hmm. so hard as a teenager, but absolutely go do more of that. Yeah. Oh, Molly has a lot of affection for those movies. I have a tremendous amount of affection for Molly Ringwald. As do I. Trash Pandas, I hope you enjoyed that ride today down 80s nostalgia lane. (laughs) With the not really as trashy as they get, Molly Ringwald, 80s teen queen. I think a trip down 80s nostalgia lane is the best lane to take a trip down, honestly. Kind of. I'm going to go listen to some Beastie Boys now. Put on my jellies. Pull out my Lisa Frank bag. I might rewatch 16 Candles and probably be horrified by a few things in it, but... I got a trapper keeper around here somewhere. Maybe there's a unicorn on it, too. Probably need to call my dad and apologize again for that whole detention thing. Sure. You'll notice I didn't tell you my detention story. Hey, I'm only giving uh, trash cans to that eighth grade teacher who gave me detention and really, really ruined my springtime life. Oh, yeah. No, I'm sure your dad was completely disillusioned. No, I was a derelict. Mm-hmm. I, 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 they might as well sign me up for juvie. Sure. There was no redeeming me. Sure. Because I was 10 seconds late in getting to my seat from the library. I'm telling you, your teacher had seen the movie that weekend as well and was like, well, we're going to make some iconic kids today and look what happened unnamed teacher gets all the trash cans well maybe judd nelson too like buy an underage kid's beer that's not great but molly ringwald no trash cans detected yeah i don't see any i I, i'm looking around the room zero trash cans for molly ringwald well it's probably where bender's shoes are with the motor oil Mm -hmm. on them (laughs) so he can audition just iconic Oh, the 80s. That was a lot of fun. Just add motor oil and time. (laughs) I fermented my boots. (laughs) Oh, that one was a lot of fun. Thank you for joining us as we are winding down season 20 of Trashy Divorces. If you are looking for more of us, Stacy, where do we tell the trash pandas to go? You can check us out on your main feeds wherever you listen to podcasts on Thursdays to hear Trashy Royals, where you are currently taking us through the wild and woolly experience of the life of Eleanor of Aquitaine. Lady to be queen of France and England. Separately. Whoa, her story is just incredible. It is wild. It really, really is. Uh, Also on Mondays... What do you do, Alicia? We're now in a new series, The Six Degrees of Robert Evans. So if you like the intersection of high society and Hollywood and getting all that old Hollywood dirt done and done is going to be the place to go. Dropping for you on Mondays. As always, we're always putting up great content over at patreon.com slash trashy divorces. Yep. If you are looking for some more trashy divorces related content. All kinds of stuff happening over there. Thanks for spending your time with us today, for telling your friends and relatives during the holiday season about all things trashy. We really appreciate you. Your probably great aunt could use a little more scandal and salaciousness in her life. (laughs) (laughs) 
Until we talk soon, y'all. Keep those hands clean. Keep your hearts trashy. Big love, everybody. Bye. Bye. And thanks to you for listening. Trashy Divorces is a Hemlock Creatives production created and produced right here in Atlanta, Georgia by us, Stacy and Alicia, with a little research and writing help from the brilliant Melissa O. Our art is by Sydney V. Smith. That's Sydney V. Smith at carbonmade.com. And our music is used with permission of Ratsy. Check her out at Ratsy's store on Instagram and definitely drop into Ratsy's store anytime you're in Oberlin, Ohio. You can contact us at trashydivorces at gmail.com or find us on the World Wide Web at trashydivorces.com. If you need more trash candy in your life, our Patreon community includes some of the very best humans around and thousands of hours of bonus content at every level of support. Join the fun at patreon.com slash trashydivorces. Interested in some Trashy Divorces swag? Check out our merch shop and Trash Panda Enthusiasm Society at bit.ly slash trashy gear. Want to advertise with us? Reach out to sales at advertisecast.com for more information. And last but not least, come play with us on social media. I keep most of our Trashy Divorces Instagram hopping. Stacy and I share it up over on Facebook, including our Trashy Divorces podcast discussion group. Come join us over there. And thanks again, everybody, for listening. Keep it trashy, y'all.